All right, let's, uh, if you have not already turned to Psalm 119, let's turn there. We will read verses, we will read 10, we'll read 105 to 120, all right, Psalm 119, 105 to 120. The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Accept, I beseech thee, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments." My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine, mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. I hate vain thoughts. But thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually." Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. All right, let's pray together. Lord in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us, the, uh, the grace that you have given to us in your word. Uh, to be our protection, to be our guide, to be our, um, the, the source and the object of our affection. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, help us, each one that's in this room, to truly use it, myself included, uh, to be faithful to what it says, to give respect unto your statutes, to uh, honor your word, and to love your word. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time to. Uh, this morning in Sunday school, and not just this class, but also the other classes that are downstairs. Please give grace. Please give instruction. Help each student to be attentive to what you have to say. And uh, Lord, we pray for the service as well, that your blessing would rest upon it, your grace would be evident among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, who can help me and remind me of... Some of, we talked about the offerings in verse 108 of Psalm 119. Except I beseech thee the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. Just as, as a review, we talked about the, the different offerings that were in the Old Testament. We didn't discuss all the different offerings, but we talked about the fact that there were offerings. Sometimes they were animal offerings. Sometimes they were food offering or drink offerings. And we saw that that what the Lord does in this, in this place, in verse 108, is the Lord takes the, the, 
the laws concerning offerings and, ex and by extension applies them to a completely different set of offerings. In this case, this is a reference to, uh, verse 108, is a reference to the offerings of one's mouth, which is a reference to praise, thanksgiving. Okay, so we, we studied that last week. So we also saw in the New Testament, who can help me and refresh our memory as to what kinds of offerings were are described in the New Testament. Are there any are there any offerings that are offered on an altar in the New Testament? Huh? Say again. Correct. But that's not but that's not offered on an on an altar like an altar of burnt offering or something like that, but she's right. Who can so you have one of the offerings we talked about was when an offering was made by the church or by the Christians that would go to those who had need. All right, so that's one offering. And the Bible specifically says that that offering is of a sweet savor and well-pleasing to God. So that is one form of an offering uh, in the New Testament. Now, just before you answer, the reason why there aren't any offerings like sheep or goats or cows or things like that, like you find in the Old Testament, because can anybody give me the reason why? Yes, sir. We're going to talk about that this morning. Correct. Jesus is Jesus was the one and final offering. When you talk about a trespass offering or a sin offering or a burnt offering, those are all pointing to and illustrative of Jesus. And so when Jesus came, there was no more need for the shadow, for the substance had already taken place. All right. Give me another one. Who's got another New Testament offering that is mentioned in the New Testament? Well, we talked about... Yes, ma'am? We didn't talk about that one, but that's one. It is a living sacrifice. See, so why don't you just come up here? And, no, I'm just joking. Just joking. That's correct. That is an offering we can give to God. And it also says, it's the verse 1 says, it is acceptable, our reasonable service. So that is an offering we give to God ourselves. Correct. All right? Who, who has another offering? Remember, what we put in here is technically not an offering. What is it called? What's that? A tithe. But in the Scripture, in the New Testament, you won't find, you won't find that term, terminology used. What was the term we, used last, we studied last week? A, a collection. A collection. But here's the thing. The reason I make that distinction is not, not to just be picky, but when you talk about an offering, it, you're using Old Testament language to describe a New Testament truth. And in Old Testament language, the offerings were the animal offerings or the meat or drink offerings, and those are things offered to God and burnt on the altar of burnt offering, right? But in the New Testament, there are many things we offer, don't go in here, that are offerings to God. All right, what, so we talked about one's body, oneself. We talked about the, the money that is part of the collection for those, the poor saints in need. Praise. And that's also in Psalm 108. That's also one. And in Hebrews, the Bible says, by him, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we talked about that as an offering that is pleasing to God. Anybody else have one? There is, I think, one more that we mentioned. Yes, ma'am. Love offering, correct? In the context of a missionary. 
in the context of a missionary. Philippians 4.18, he says, Paul says to the church at Philippi, but I have all in abound and am full, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. All right, so our money, that's why, that's why in common parlance we call this an offering because scripturally the terminology is used of giving money. Technically it's a collection, but we're not going to split hairs over it. And so we, we see these different kinds of sacrifices. Again, there is no sacrifice for sin in the New Testament except Jesus. And that's done. One time forever, that's done. That's why you don't see it in the New Testament. What you do see is this application of the offerings in the New Testament. And so that's what we studied. Now, let's look at the 15th set, starting in verse number 113, but we will skip down to verse 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Now, this is, this is a very common theme in the Psalms. The idea that, notice it says that God himself, God's person, is our hiding place and our shield. Now, a hiding place is a place you go when you're trying to get, rid, get, get away from some sort of harm or some sort of danger. And a shield is obviously used for protection. Of course, that's in the New Testament in Ephesians as well. But the idea is that there is danger. The idea is we are, whenever we are faced with danger or we're faced with temptation or we're faced with some sort of peril, the idea is we run to God, God himself. Now, there's a, there's a little bit of a distinction that's necessary. We talk about, because this verse says, thou art my hiding place. What we're, ta- what we're not talking about is some sort of system of religion or some sort of, some sort of religious structure or organization to which we run. You see, a believer has a relationship to God himself. That, it's, that alone is one of the greatest dividing, dividing characteristics between mere religion and biblical Christianity. Is biblical Christianity has at its core a sinner having been reconciled to God. Does not, David, David they mentioned that in the, uh, in the wedding yesterday, how that God has reconciled us to himself. That, just that term reconciliation, you know what it implies? It, imp- it implies a past alienated relationship, a past a relationship that was destructive and uh, dysfunctional. And God has done what is necessary for that relationship to be restored. Just, just with it, if you just mo- uh, meditate and ponder upon the term r- reconciled, you can see that a relationship is what is in view. Not religious form, not religious laws to be kept, not religious rules to be followed. And you know what? In Christianity, there is form. Did you know that? A wedding. We had a wedding. I said, you know what that is? It's a form. We have baptism. Baptism is a visible form, right? Forms aren't always bad. Rituals aren't always bad. But that's not the core of what it is. You get baptized all day long. If you don't have the substance, who cares? You're just getting wet, 
right? So, so we shouldn't just, you know, just cast away all form and all ritual. Those things are important and they're scriptural. Think of the Lord's Supper and other things like that. But at its core, biblical Christianity deals primarily with our relationship to God himself, not to just joining some religion, all right? Now, when we read in verse number 114, thou art my hiding place, we're talking about God himself, God himself. Now, we know Psalm 119 is primarily about God's word. That's the main thing. He says, I hope in thy word. So here's, here's what it means. Sometimes a believer is faced with peril and danger and heartache. And sometimes we get in places where, where we get into a situation that is very unpleasant and that, that is potentially harmful. You know what the Lord expects us to do? To run to Him. To use Him as our hiding place. You know, I've, I've seen this done. I've done it myself. Actually, not too long ago where these words came to my mind and heart as I was praying about some situations. And, and, and that, that's what it's about, is you hope in God's Word, your trust, your, the, your feet are firmly planted in the truth of God's Word. And you run to God and you seek shelter in Him. Now the problem is, in this world, so many people are seeking shelter in things other than God. They're seeking escape and protection from things other than God. But here's the thing. This is not a fairy tale that we're talking about. This is not pie in the sky. This is not wishful thinking. This is, and any Christian who has, this, and think about, this is why sometimes the Lord leads us into difficult circumstances. How can we possibly know that God is a refuge and God is a shield that is, that is, sufficient to protect us unless that is put to the test. You know, one thing we did in the Marine Corps, I mentioned the, the cover there, one thing we did in the Marine Corps is part of the, our, our training was the gas chamber. The gas chamber is so fun, right? You don't think it at the time, but it's so fun. They, they take their little Bunsen burner and they burn little tablets of CS gas and fill the room with gas. And you go in the room without your mask on. There's that danger on the outside you know, that danger that's, that's in the air. You know, because you have your eyes closed and you have your mouth closed, you know, it, the moment you open your eyes or you inhale, you know you are not going to have a good day. It's not going to be fun. So you hold your breath as long as you can. You close your eyes as long as you can. Grope in the, in the gas chamber. Of course, they force you to do it. What? 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 No, the, you... you they get you to a place where you must breathe it. And you breathe it, you know what happens? That, it's like, a, it's like a, a grill brush going down your throat and coming back up and snot coming out and your eyes are white. It's, it's really nasty. But the moment you put that gas mask on, you clear it. So all that, all that gas is gone. All of a sudden, the air is clear. But you know why they do that? Why do they put you through that? Truth is, CS gas is not something you're going to use in the military, going to experience in the military very often. If they're going to be shooting gas at you, it's going to kill you. <laughs> not riot, not riot gas. So why do they do that? They simply do that so that you can have confidence in the equipment that you use. That's why. The affliction, the difficulty is designed to teach you 
that there is a solution that is effective. And see, that's affliction that the Lord allows us to go into. It teaches us that the Lord is a shield and He will protect you. And that comes by, you have it in the Word, but the, the Lord wants us to know these things not just by in the Word, but then by, by experience also. And so you know what He does? He allows us to go through hard things where we seek Him and we hide in Him and we find the rest and the protection that we need and that we long for. And we come out of it, and you know what we say? We say what the psalmist says. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. Verse 115. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Now, listen to this. The Word of God will by itself become a divider between the saint and the sinner. The Word of God, notice what it says, keep it in your mind, depart from me, you evildoers, for, that's the reason, I will keep the commandments of my God. The Word of God will, be, will force the believer to part ways with people who hate it. Notice what he says. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. In other words, it's if, if a believer, a child of God, who loves God and wants to walk with God, is in a relationship, I'm not talking about a romantic relationship necessarily, but I'm talking about any kind of relationship, an intimate kind of relationship like that, eventually, inevitably, that person, that person who is not a believer, by virtue of his just, just the fact of his nature, as a sinner, his values, his standards are going to come in conf conflict with the believer. And at that point, at that moment, the believer has a choice. Is he going to stand by and let that person persist in what he's doing and not speak up? Worse yet, is he going to allow that person to lead him to likewise partake in that sinful activity? Or, on the other hand, is he going to allow the Word of God to be that dividing force? Because that believer can be in a position where he has no choice but either speak out against it or maybe, maybe leave off whatever that activity is so that he can obey the commandments of God or he's going to do what the sinner is doing. One of those two, one of the, and you know what? All of us are going to be put in a position like that. It might be with a family member. It might be with a coworker. It might be with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance. All of us are at some point are put into a position where we are, the, we are next door to a sinner. And you know, let, let, let me just say something really quick. The Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians. God does not want us to go out of the world and create, a, create our own little community where we don't interact with people who are sinners. The Lord does not want us to do that. He wants us to interact with them, to, to, with unbelievers who do not know Him. But that's, there's, a nut, there's a, an entirely different question when you talk about having a, a close personal relationship as a, as a uh, 
a camaraderie with someone who has a totally different set of values, it will lead to conflict. And you will either have to compromise what you believe and your values toward God and your relationship to God, or you will have to make some decisions to depart from them. That doesn't mean you despise them, and it certainly doesn't mean that we look down from our perch upon them. But it does mean that we do not overlook what's happening. And we do, let's just let let the Bible speak, okay? Look at this. Look at Proverbs chapter Verse 24. <clears throat> Notice the term partner. See, a partner is not a casual acquaintance. The word partner does not indicate a casual acquaintance like you might have it with a coworker. It's more than that. It's more intimate than that. There's a stake, right? There's a cooperation. Verse number 29, I'm sorry, verse number 24. Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing and bereath it not. Why does he hear cursing? Think about it. Yes, sir? It has everything to do with the proximity, right? He's around that person and it is inevitable that that, that person is going to be saying wicked things. That person is going to be doing wicked things. My son, he works at, a, at, he works at just a company. They make perforating machines. Joshua does. Pretty much everyone around him is wicked. Now that he can't control. He has no control over. But he does have, a, have some measure of control over his response to that. And he does have some measure of control over what he does and who he's with and whether he's with those same people on a friendly basis outside of work. That he does have control over. Now, that, now what I'm not saying, and of course, I, I trust everyone understands, what I'm not saying is you, I'm not saying you should never have friends that are unbelievers. But you do have to be careful. You absolutely have to be careful because you, your primary job and my primary job as a believer is to shine as a light and to be salt. So as we have relationships, they have to understand, right? At some point, they have to understand I am what I am and I'm going to follow the commandments of God, right? And that alone, that's what we read in Psalm 119, 115. I will keep the commandments of God, right? That, that alone, the commandments of God, sometimes is what causes someone to depart. The believer should never, that should never be up for compromise. Because inevitably what happens, as we read in Proverbs, is we see sin, we hear sin, we, we, we know what's going on, and we, we dare not say anything. Going back to Psalm 119, look what it says. Depart from me, ye evildoers. You know, this is not the only time this, this term is used, this phrase. Depart from me. In Luke 13, verse 27, what does the Lord say at the, at the great final judgment? He says, depart from me. 
ye workers of iniquity. So just as the Lord will not tolerate workers of iniquity near him in the final day of judgment, so the Christian, like the Lord, does not tolerate workers of iniquity near him. Now, as I said, you can't go out of the world. But remember, when you talk about the final state in heaven with God, in his dwelling place, that is a holy place, right? It's the equivalent of you having someone coming into, you have someone come into your house, maybe a person who's a drug addict or a drug dealer, who's involved in criminal activity, and you have them in your house, and you host them, and they, you allow their activity to just continue with just unabated. I would never allow that in my house. Never. Why not? It's my house. Well, that's, what, <laughs> that's what the Lord says in John 14, that the, in my Father's house. That's, a, that's ref, a reference to heaven. And so the Lord says in that day of judgment, depart from me. Now, one more caveat and then we'll move on. This, of course, assumes that the worker of iniquity, the evildoer that, we're, that is the subject of our, of our verse in one, uh, 115, ye evildoers, this assumes that this person is a persistent and unrepentant wicked person who has refused attempts at correction and salvation. We know that our Lord ate with publicans, right? Our Lord ate with sinners. Think of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. <laughs> wee little man, was he? Zacchaeus was a publican, but he was a repentant publican. You see that? We talked about that, uh, I believe, last Sunday. We talked about repentance in... Uh, Luke 15, there's a difference. Then we talk about the sinners, the woman who was a sinner who washed Jesus' feet. Remember reading about that, right? But that woman, Jesus said, as, as she was washing his feet, they were criticizing. Yeah, if, he, if he was a prophet, he would know who's touching him. I'm paraphrasing. And then Jesus went on to tell them that this woman's whose sins were many are forgiven for she loved much. See, she was repentant. There's a difference. There is a difference. None of us can stand up on our perch and look down at people and say, well, I ain't going to be around that person because they're, they're wicked. Well, hold on. That attitude, that's what we're talking about here. The attitude is the problem. The person that says that with the wrong attitude is a person who has failed to remember what they were. And is starting to believe somehow that whatever uprightness is in them is a result of them instead of what God has done in them. See, when we understand that what we are is holy and totally, uh, holy and totally a result of the grace of God and work of God in us, what do we have to brag about? We have nothing to brag about. And when you can't brag, you certainly can't look at someone else and say, well, I'm better than they are, or I, I can't be around them. The attitude that we should have is one, one of brokenness, one of a sincere desire to see that person come to repentance like God desires. So what do we see? We also see Pharisees. Pharisees referred to publicans and sinners in such derogatory language. They were what I'm describing. Ah, Pharisees, publicans. They didn't even care whether they had repented. 
All they cared about was their reputation. Truth is, all of us have an ugly reputation to some degree or another. And you think about many of you probably, looking at the crowd, many of you were probably raised in a Christian home and you never got into really serious and, and, and serious sin. Of course, all sin is serious, but you understand what I'm saying. But many of you, many others of you had a reputation. There might be some people in this room that if we did a background check, there might be some things to see. But if you're a believer, that is not what you are. That's what you were. And you can eat with Jesus. You see that? Now, the Pharisees might criticize, but that's, that's stupid. The church is just, the church is full of saved people who were sinners. And so Jesus, <clears throat> though those people had a reputation for that lifestyle, the publicans and the sinners, it's a, it's a reputation the Pharisees would not let go of despite the fact they had repented. They didn't care about repentance, of course. They weren't going to repent. Therefore, the Lord ate and fellowshiped with repentant people who, had, who previously had a reputation as a sinner. And that's all of us. That's, what we, that's the takeaway from this, is that's all of us. What we do not often see, however, is the Lord fellowshipping with the self-righteous Pharisees. It does happen occasionally, but even then there's conflict <laughs> at those meetings. The th see, the thing is, the Pharisees were also sinners, just of a different sort. But the difference is they didn't see it. They said, we see. So Jesus said, therefore your sin remaineth. They were deluded into thinking they didn't need repentance. Now let's look, at, <clears throat> look back. So I just, I just want to ask you this. We're, on, we're almost finished, but you can go back to Psalm 119. Now, look, it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 80. All of us need to pay attention to who our circle of friends are and who our intimate acquaintances are. This is not a command for just young people, although most of the time it's applied only to young people. Who my friends are says a lot about me. And who my friends are determines the kind of stuff that I hear and see and do. And if I'm faithful to God's commandments, that is, it, the, the, the secondary effect of that is going to be, it's going to affect my friends right? Either I'm going to tell them about Jesus and uphold righteousness or I'm going to go along with them. That's what this verse is saying. So what's your, what, are you, what does your circle of friends look like? What desire do you have toward your circle of friends? Not just what they are, but do you long to have friends that, where that circle's wider and wider and includes more and more sin? It's an important question. Lastly, verse number 120. I know I'm skipping some, uh, I just, uh, for, just for time. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. We hear so much about almost every time you hear the fear of God, and it gets on my nerves, just personally. The Bible says, fear the Lord, and almost immediately people say, well, that's not really talking about fear. <laughs> Brother Mark, you've, heard, you've probably heard that before. <laughs> It's a cop-out. Look at this verse. <laughs> it's a cop-out. Now, I acknowledge that, 
you know, the, the Lord's example of fearing the Lord is similar, though not exactly the same, to one's fearing one's parents. But, but it is a cop-out to say, well, this is not actually talking about like being you know, scared and trembling. Actually, that's what the verse says. So what is it talking about? Having a healthy fear of God and of violating His word. You see, here's the thing I want you to understand. These days, it is common for people in our society, we see it all the time and it's increasing. It is common to see people who knowingly, intentionally violate God's law and do so with hubris and brazenness with no fear at all. And they flaunt it. That's what this is talking about. The fact is, all of us are going to violate God's commandments at some point or time or another. So the idea that, well, I'm, I tremble at the law of God, I'm never going to break God's commandments. Baloney. You are going to, you have, you probably will sometime this week at some point. But the difference is, do you do so with fear and trembling? <laughs> because when you, when you have that fear and trembling, that spirit where you're, you have that healthy fear of God and of His commandments, that gives you pause. That is the basis of that conviction, that conscience that God has given you, that causes you to have a little bit of pause. So you don't do it with brazenness, but maybe with a little bit of fear. You see, that's important. The difference between that and a brazen sinner is huge, especially when it comes to salvation. When a person comes to God, they must come to God humbly, trembling, right? With that kind of spirit. And there's a big difference. In fact, you could even say it creates fertile ground, having a, a healthy fear of God, like this verse says, trembling for fear of thee. It creates fertile ground for the seed of the gospel in the heart. A person who does not fear God will never come to Jesus. I'll say it again. A person who does not fear God will never come to Jesus. But you know what? There's a growing, and I, I mean, I'm, you all know this. There's a growing segment of our society that holds God and His ways in contempt. They sin with hubris and arrogance. Ezra 10.3, and we'll close. Listen to this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord. Aren't you glad Mary and Ryan aren't here? <laughs> Just joking. And those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. You see that? They obeyed God's law and that was hard to do. They had all these foreign wives. And it, was, it was totally outside of God's will. But because they trembled at God's law, they obeyed God's law, even to do the hard things. The fear of God and of his, his law was the basis. Now, just because we fear God and tremble at His law doesn't mean we dread God. Think Adam and Eve. That was different. Adam and Eve feared God too, but it wasn't this kind of fear. Because they didn't fear God to obey God. They feared God to get away from God. And that's different. And, but what it demonstrates is the spirit and attitude is totally different between the two. The person who fears God and obeys God is the person who fears God and runs to God. That's where the Lord wants us to be right there. Let's pray together.